Well, good morning again, everybody. Thank you for your encouragement of the way that you have worshipped uh, this morning, where you know when the saints are, are, are giving it, whether you're upstairs in the balcony or downstairs, that, that's the emphasis of the oomph that we know, and also the gentle presence of the Lord God with us. We're going to continue our series uh, this morning in thinking about walking the ancient paths. It's a series that's going through our length time. We're joining like many other uh, Christian denominations where we think about Lent, which is 40 days moving towards Easter. In actual fact, it's 46 and 40 days of thinking about um, all that Jesus has done on that great sacrifice as we get to the Easter time. The ancient past was something that Jeremiah talked about when he was reminding the nation of Israel to get back to God. You'll know that the nation of Israel for 40 years, quite a substantial time, wandered around in the desert because actually they had lost traction. They would lost direction with following God. But we also know that Jesus, in his preparation for his ministry, for 40 days actually went into the wilderness. And as the scripture said, he was led by the Spirit. And during those 40 days of fasting and self-denial, and remember, as we thought about this last week, Jesus was the one who is the ultimate of self-denial. He gave up heaven's glory to become a man, to understand what it is to be like us and to die on a cross and to rise again. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And we reminded ourselves as well about fasting. And Jesus actually taught about fasting and we read those two scriptures. How did you get on? How did you get on with the self-denial? How did you get on with the fasting? I think I'm going to give myself a 5 out of 10. It wasn't very good. So, but here's the good thing about it. Keep trying. Because when we keep trying, when we try and give up fasting, remember fasting is letting go of something that's going to create space for us to have more time with God. Create some space for more time with God. Self-denial is putting it actually into perspective what is important and what's not important and ensuring that actually he is first. And you remember I said there were things that when I was younger I really desired and I really wanted and funnily enough as I've got older they have no interest in my being now. They don't have a hold over me. Life changes and actually as we delight in him our perspective changes. And so we're on this pathway, this walking the ancient paths to think about spiritual disciplines. Many would say there are seven, there are perhaps even more than that. But we're going to drop down into uh, a few. And we've thought about self-denial, we've thought about fasting. And this week I'm going to entitle this, and I've been careful with my title, and the title might sound confusing, but I want to leave something in your brains. And I want you to be small-minded. Small-minded godliness. You see, small-minded immediately is a negativity or a negative perspective that we have. But I want to attach it to godliness. And I hope as we go through, we'll see why I'm attaching it to that word godliness. I'm not wanting you to be small-minded in a way that's bombastic or always have all the answers or to be like that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm trying to lodge a something into your brain to take away, hopefully by the Spirit of God, as we look at the Word of God together, that we can apply to help us to walk along those ancient paths. Are you with me? Up for being small-minded? Oh, I'm not so sure. 
Okay, we'll, we'll see how as we go along. All right, turn with me to Psalm 8. It will come up on the screen, or it will be on your apps or in your Bibles, or whichever way you want to look at it. We'll know this psalm very well. Psalm 8. Slightly different from mine. So I'll start off with, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Well, what does that teach us about small-mindedness? Well, we'll explore that together. But I want you to note straight away, as we actually look at the passage there, there is a contrast here. And we see that contrast, as we've read it together, in different ways. Majestic name over all the earth. It's big. And then we narrow down into the small through the praise of children and infants. And then we go back to the small, the finger that made everything. You see the contrast that's going on here? Some of you will have Googled this or watched this online, and uh, I encourage you to do that. If you've not listened to Louis Gigliano's uh, sermon on actually uh, this, this verse about fingers and stars, you need to. Because he talks about the macro here, and, and you've, I've, I've pinched some of that, but I've fessed up to the fact that it was his. But he has this wonderful, wonderful way of explaining how big things are. So uh, one example he uses, that if we take a golf ball and we say that that is the world, okay, there is actually a star in our galaxy And there are trillions of galaxies, but there is a star in our galaxy that if we're this size, a golf ball, there is a star in the galaxy. Guess how big? Three miles in diameter. Just just take a moment, consider the world. We're on it somewhere. And there is a star out in one of the galaxies that we know of that is three miles wide using the metaphor using the comparison and who put that star into the sky the finger of god boosh there it goes just like that god is absolutely massive and big and the psalmist is trying to trying to make sure that we understand something of the enormity of who God is. Now I'm guessing, because you seem all very intelligent people, because you're actually disputing the fact that you can have uh, small-minded godliness, um, that you've got God completely sussed. 
You, you've got him actually, you know, your systematic view and understanding of the scriptures and your doctrine about all the big things and even the small things is all lined up and you can go tick. As I've got older, it is clear that there are clear things on biblical understanding about the big things. Jesus died and rose again. He is the Son of God. But I've also discovered that there are some grey things. There is some tension that we have to live with. For example, how many of you get grace? What, do you really? Then afterwards, come and tell me. Why does God love you? You put your hand up, but and so just explain to me, why does God love you? Do you know? Do you understand why he loves you? Well, we're not sure, are we? We, we might have to be here a long time. Because, yes, it's his character, it's his nature, but why should he choose to love you? What do you think about that, Alistair? God loves you. Really? I mean, he's happy. He's quite happy about that. But what about the other thing? Do you, do you get the fact, how many of you, when someone's been nasty to you, who's taken your money, who's profaned your name, who's walked out you or believing for dead, how many of you are going to run towards that individual and embrace them when they come back? Father God does. Do you know, I, 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 I don't get, why does he love me? Well, he loves me, the Bible tells me so, but why me? Because it's his nature, it's his character. You know, God loves me despite my stupidity. God forgives me as well. I, I, I'm exploring that. I, I believe it with all my heart. But here's the thing. I don't fully understand it. Because it's beyond my comprehension. I can't say that I love my enemies, every single one of them. I'm being transformed and made more like Jesus, but he is just amazingly immense. You know, we know of these words, and uh, these words that are uh, in, well, they're not in the Bible, but they're used theologically about the omniness of God. What did you say? Omnipresent, omnipotent. You know, that I'm all things, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-everywhere. God is that. He is big. He's beyond our comprehension. You see, there's a word here that we can learn that is going to help us in our discovery of walking the ancient paths. And there are two words, but this is the first word. And the first word that God often does, and the psalmist is picking up on this, is to contrast your understanding of who God is with yourself. God is big. God is mighty. God is amazing. God is immense. God is beyond our comprehension. You haven't yet discovered, you are only on a journey of discovering for an eternity who God is and how he is, because he is Massivo, if that's a word. He's big. Bigger than me. Unbelievable. It's true. He's ginormous. And here's the contrast. The contrast that God brings in this situation is, 
I am who I am, and you're not. Yes, you are co-heirs with Christ. Yes, you are my sons and daughters, but you're not I am. I always have been, I always will be, and there will be no end. You see, can you understand that? No, I believe it, but how can you put your head round something? And God is making the contrast here for us to understand who we are. Yes, he's accessible, but he is ultimately different. And there's another word, and this is an important word, and it's a word that we often forget. And it's a word that is written as a pause or as a break or as a little slap around the face or a little tap on the shoulder. And it's this word that we see written in this psalm. And I'll read it to you again. And we just ran over it because we're used to this word. We're used to letting it go because we want to get to the big stuff. Verse 3 of Psalm 8 says, When I consider. You see, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, when the word consider is used, just like what we would define it, it is to give serious thought to. When was the last time you gave serious thought to the fact that God was bigger than you? When was the last time you considered that God actually wasn't doing what you wanted him to do? When did you take time to consider? So consider is the verb, consideration is the noun, and to get the noun you need something which we add to that, and that is time. And next week, when uh, Nikki takes on uh, the realm of teaching us as well, we're going to be looking at slowing up. But how well do we consider? How well do we take seriously? And what is he asking us to take seriously at this moment? He's asking us to take seriously the fact that we are small and he is big. He's big. And we are small. You remember when Job was being tested, lying in the ashes, and his friends were telling him, you're a sinner, you need to sort your life out. And they're really useful friends that you want around when you're covered in sores and everything else. Such a great encouragement. And, uh, but actually what they needed was they needed someone to say, God's for you. And then God rocks up. And Job is having a little pity me. And I'd probably be the same. I'm sure you would be as well. And what does God say to him? Well, he says quite a lot, but here's an interesting comparison. So Job 38, 22, 23 says this, Have you entered the storehouse of the snow or seen the storehouse of hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, the days of war and battle? What's he making the point here? He's making a point that I can have all the snow that I want. Can you? I have the storehouse of snow. I'm that big. I'm that amazing. I'm that complex. I'm that just wonderful. And here's another little thing. Let's just take it from the bigness of the snow and take it down to the macro. No snowflake is the same, is it? Now get your head around that for you clever people. Come on. Yeah, you've admitted that you know everything. So 
Every snowflake different. Seriously. What kind of creator God is that? He's not small. He's got some brains. He's big. Big. Bigger than you can think. And then do you remember the story in Isaiah the prophet? He's just telling, helping them to think about, you know, get back with God, hang back to God, Israel, push back to God, Israel. And they're going, oh, maybe, maybe not. And then he comes out with some of these phrases, Isaiah 40. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. God takes a nation, a bucket, He is massive. He is beyond our comprehension. Macro. And then on the small. Matthew 6, verse 26, says this. It uses that same word, consider. Consider the birds of the air. They do not reap or sow, and yet your Father feeds them. God invites us to consider the small things. You see, the complexity of life is that we often forget about small things. I love small things. Some of you know that. I love mini cars. Um, When I get into a mini car, I am the perfect weight to hold it down on the corners when it goes round a sharp corner. I'm the perfect balance for something like that. I love the swallows that fly all the way from Africa and they're doing the sky dancing above my house. I love the tiny snowdrops that we see at this time of year. I love the fact that one step is a step to cover a journey of a thousand miles. No step, no cover. You have to keep moving. I love that. I love the fact that a small thing can move a big thing. Don't believe me? If you turn out your lights at night in the summer and you hear a mosquito, guess how quickly you move? Because you don't want to get bitten. My dad told me, and I didn't realize it was the scriptures, And that was, hey, be a good steward of the small things. But the scriptures say, and what do they say? They say, be faithful in the small things, and people will trust you in the big things. He's a big God. Hello, pal. This is Jake. He'll squeak a little bit. Here. And now we're going to put him over here. You can make it. Right, you sit. Stay there. Stay. Now he'll probably want to come in a minute until I click my fingers. Sit. He is obedient, sort of, but he's also 15. And he, here's the thing. I'll take him with me for a minute. Stay there. We'll put you down there as well. Here's the thing. He's a small thing. I like small things. Now, Jake, uh, we're friends. You can have a friendship with a dog. Um, He's reasonably faithful. 
Um, we've done lots of different adventures together. Uh, we've gone many a walk. Um, he's hear me shout and cry. Um, he uh, knows when I'm in a good mood. They can pick up on that kind of stuff. Uh, he always accepts me and loves me. Hey, because he's a dog. Okay, he thinks I'm God. <laughs> he does. He thinks that I'm the alpha male. I'm the boss. I'm the. I'm the dude. I'm where it's at. But there's a little problem with this mutt. Yeah, there's a, there's a few problems, but we'll take one today. Here's the little problem. Sometimes he thinks God doesn't know everything. Usually it happens about every five weeks. Um, he's got a little bit of credibility about him because he's getting deaf now. And um, so I give him that advantage. But my family quite often tell me, listen, he's just playing deaf to you because he's choosing not to go the way that you want him to go. And there's probably some truth in that. But he thinks I'm God. And you know, he, he came, didn't he? Yeah? You saw it? He came? Because he's confident of who I am. He's bored already because he's yawning. <laughs> uh, but I want you to notice something. He came, and do you know the word worship in the scriptures that Jesus used is actually a word that would translate that a dog will lick your hand. Did you know that? So the word of worship that Jesus uses in the New Testament, if you were to unpack that, it actually means that the, the excitement of like a dog wanting to lick your hand. When was the last time your excitement in worship, you came to lick God's hand? Sounds strange, doesn't it? But you see, because he's just totally excited about the fact that I'm here for him. And so he's excited to be with me. Are we excited to be with God, where he's solely our attention? And why am I talking about the small things? You see, just like Jake to me, there are times when he will not be obedient. There are times when he thinks, mm, I trust you, but I'm still going to test you to see whether you are who you are. God reminds us today that he is bigger. Could the dog protect me? He thinks he can, but he can't. Can I protect the dog? Many a time I've had to. Because he thinks that he can take on anybody. He thinks he can take on Alsatians and Dalmatians and everything that's bigger than him because his attitude is, yeah, come on, I've got a big God behind me. You want a piece of me? Let's do this thing. You have a big God behind you. But you are smaller than him. And he knows better than you. Thanks, pal. One, two... Thanks, Emma. I smell a dog now. Isaiah, when he was talking about God knows more than us, in another passage, 
in 55, he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As Notice how big he's going now. Notice again, he always adds the contrast. As heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Some people say that's a cop-out, isn't it, when you follow Jesus or you follow God? You can use that verse as a little kick into touch to get out of trouble. When God seems not to appear when life sucks and it's hard. But actually, I take it as a comfort. God's big. High as the heavens. And here's the amazing thing. He loves me. You see, being small-minded helps us with godliness. Because we realize that we haven't got it all sussed. And we need someone who has. He is bigger than us. The prophet Zechariah, and most of you will know this, and 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin and to see the plumb line of Zerubbabel's hand. Small is important. Small, God gives us that so that we can grow and put it into perspective. If you know how to lead your life the best that anybody else has led your life, then good on you, because I don't know how to lead mine the best. But I found someone whose thoughts are better than my thoughts. I found someone who will run to me when I run back to him. I found someone who flicked, not only created a world the size of a golf ball, but decided to create one of some trillion, trillion, trillion galaxies and stars, one that is as big as actually three miles wide, if you take the extrapolation. I found someone who says, consider. Who doesn't just swipe me off, who doesn't just dismiss me, but actually says, consider who I am. Make the contrast. Understand that where you are, that you're not bigger than God. And how does that help walking the sacred paths? Because his thoughts his ways, his help is greater than anything else I can muster. You see, I'd never have come up with thought of putting Jesus on the cross. I wouldn't have. But God the Father didn't think twice. Do I understand that? Uh, if you, if you do, that's great. It, it quite literally blows my mind. The Son of God died in my place on the cross. The Son of God is the one who flicked the stars into space. These hands, these fingers that he had that just put a star here and there, as God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Creator, were just, you know, doing stuff. 
with the hands that hung on a cross for me and for you to pay the price for all the wrong stuff which is called sin in this world that I so readily do. And that, you know, by just saying unreal meaning the saying, I'm sorry and I don't want part of that. He forgives me and he forgives you and he adopts me as a family member. I become part of the family of God and that he runs to me when I run to him that he's for me and not against me, that he calls me a co-heir with Christ, that he says that I'm his son and he says that you're his daughter, that I have a hope of eternity, that I have the presence of the Holy Spirit in me now and forevermore. What? This is a big God, ladies and gentlemen. He is massive. Absolutely massive. And he reminds us, I know the hairs on your head, small. I know when the sparrow falls to the ground, small. I can take a boy's little fishes and two loaves and multiply them into massive stuff. If you only have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. See, from that quality, a great tree was born. If it's just that small, guess what I can do? I can make a big thing where the birds of the air can hide. Small yeast in a dome. A woman's mite who was just a little penny and she put it in there. Boof. Small-minded godliness. God, this morning, take our smallness so that we look to you because your ways are not my ways. Do you know what that does? It puts us on the right track of our understanding of walking with God. Because he knows best and his ways are best. And when I try to do it my way, like Jake tries to do it his way, it's not going to win. But when I do it his way, when I walk with him, he comes and helps me by the power of his spirit and by the word of God. What does the word of God say? I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We align ourselves with the word of God, which is bigger than us because it's given to us by a big God. We align ourselves to it. And so, practice smallness. And one way to do that is to think about the massiveness of God. This morning, if you have felt that I couldn't come into the house of God and someone, and there were people praying for you this morning before we started this service, uh, they were saying that actually some of us feel like the doors are shut to the presence of God. That's not true. The doors are flung wide open for you because there's a father running to you as soon as you run to him. That's good news, ladies and gentlemen. When the world's in a panic, that is good news because God's big and we're small. Amen.
before we worship, uh, Lucy is going to lead us in a prayer, but I'm going to pray first as well. Okay, so just, just be still, just be you. You might not find this useful, but I found it useful for I'll share the crumb that I learnt. If you take your fingers, like, like this, and you just narrow them before they touch, do you know you can narrow your fingers to the size of an atom? You can't see it. And you so often touch, doesn't it? it just, but God knows that. Because he's big. He's big. Father, help us to get perspective right. That we're small. But thank you, Father, that you care for small things, even though you're massive. There's not a hair on anybody's head in this room that you do not know about. There's not an atom or a thought that's in this room that you do not know about. And there's not a person and myself in this room who you do not love. And you gave up your one and only son. Father, you're massive. And some of us need to know that massive God right now. And Lucy's going to lead us in that family prayer. And if, if you say that, then you can come afterwards and we've got some material for you. It's just to help you. Or you can connect with us at the desk in the reception area where you came through. And after Lucy's prayed, we're going to continue to worship. The guys will lead us. And, but some of us might need the encouragement of someone praying for us. And we have a ministry team. Whether in your balcony you can come down the stairs or whether you're down here. And, and they're just at the back where you came in through. They'll, they'll pray for you that you might know the presence of that massive God in your life.